farming in a different environment with a greater understanding of the need for it. There's much more will for it and people pushing for it and developers as well. There is this lack of understanding that it doesn't have to take up lots more space. It doesn't have to be more expensive. When we've got a more holistic approach to it by using the four pillars, then that's where we get all of the benefits that we want to see coming from our environment. So it ticks all the boxes for me, really. And, you know, how we do it is really just, as I say, down to our own imaginations. You're listening to Talking Landscape, a podcast which explores the big issues in placemaking, nature and the environment through conversations with leading landscape architects and practitioners. I'm your host, Paul Lincoln, editor of Landscape, the journal on which this podcast is based. In this episode, we'll be looking at the importance of sustainable urban drainage as we look towards creating a greener future. Joining me is Sue Illman, who guest edited this edition of Landscape, which is dedicated to the evolving landscape of water. Sue is a landscape architect and a past president of the Landscape Institute. Her career has changed the landscape of water management and this year she was a recipient of an outstanding contribution to Suds Award by Syria, the Construction Industry Research and Information Association. Before we start, Sue, I wanted to ask you, why did you choose to work as a landscape architect? I didn't start off life, uh, my career in landscape architecture. I actually started it in accountancy, strangely. But um, I'd always been interested in the natural environment. And after a while, I just got bored with the accountancy side of it. So um, happened to go into a careers office. And whilst I was waiting to be someone to talk to me, I picked up a little leaflet that said, so you want to be a landscape architect? And I read that and I just thought that's absolutely everything I want to do. So I applied to the university up in Cheltenham, went for an interview on the Tuesday, they accepted me on the Wednesday and I started the following Monday. So it was crash, bang, wallop, here we go. I'm studying to be a landscape architect. Brilliant. Okay, well, that's a great start in life. Now let's race forward uh, to the more recent period. Now, Sue, you are a leading voice in water management in the landscape profession and you've worked throughout your career to ensure that sustainable drainage and flood prevention remain on the political agenda. Earlier this year you and your colleague Steve Wilson were awarded outstanding contribution to SUDS by Syria in recognition of the work that you have both done over many years. Uh, Tell us why this issue is so important. Where do we start? I mean, the whole issue around SUDS has just, thankfully, has just grown. But really, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, nobody really talked about it. But then we've had a number of flooding events, really serious ones in this country, which I think brought it to the forefront. And we started to get policy and then policy went, went off sideways. So I think it became incumbent about us all trying to bring this to the attention of the country in a wider basis and to government as well in terms of understanding the need for really good policy to deliver. You know, we've just seen how much that has been needed and continues to be needed over the years because the incidences of flooding have become ever more prevalent around the country and, um, you know, and the devastation that they cause to lives, families and businesses, really. Let me take you back nearly 10 years ago, at a period when you were president of the Landscape Institute, 
you, together with 12 other organisations, uh, penned an open letter to the then Prime Minister, David, now Lord Cameron, calling for long-term planning to prevent the devastation caused by flooding. Let's go back 10 years. What compelled you to write that particular letter? I think it was the fact that we were getting legislation which could have enabled good things to happen, and then it got chopped off at the ankles. So we were all just hugely disappointed. And I have to say, I think it's one of the first times that so many professional organisations have come together and had a sort of common theme and and wished to actually present that to government. And I think, you know, did it have an effect? It certainly drew it into the public domain. And we've all then therefore tried to keep that profile up as much as we can. It didn't particularly change policy. It did progress it, but obviously policy was already in place. So they weren't going to be changing that anytime soon, unfortunately. And in fact, those changes are only now coming to fruition now, 10 years later, as you say. You know, it's a long time to wait for legislation to be put back into where it needed to be. How widespread is the issue of flooding in the UK? People often consider it to be a coastal issue. So should people in other parts of the country be worried and How affected in particular are our cities by the issue of flooding? Just think about it. How did we develop and where did we develop our towns and cities? And in the main, the major ones are all sitting on watercourses, you know, the Thames, the Mersey, all of the big rivers. That's where development happened because it was all about transport and communications. So inherently, that is where the problem is going to lie. Now, I know that we're talking about tidal and coastal, but then we all know what's happening, you know, in terms of that. But that that also filters back to the fact that those watercourses spread all throughout the country. So that gives us the potential there for it to be affected and all the development that's gathered around it. And because we didn't have the problems that we've got now when those towns and cities were built, in the main, they're not particularly resilient to when we get extreme events happening. Over the last decade, sustainable drainage has absolutely become a significant feature in discussions about designing for the future. Um, For those who are not familiar with such schemes. Tell us a bit about how they work. Some some of the initiatives, there's one called Slow the Flow, and in a way, that's exactly what it does do, but it also does quite a lot of other things. So when we talk about SUDS, we talk about the four pillars of SUDS, and that's all about quality, quantity, amenity, and biodiversity. So quality, the fact that when you pass water through vegetated systems, it actually cleans up pollutants out of it. And in wet, dry systems, you get the metabolization of hydrocarbons. That's what's coming off the roads. So that's how we, you know, we're filtering out silts and sediments and we're metabolizing hydrocarbons. So that's our quality. Quantity, of course, if we're putting it through green systems, then an amount of the water will infiltrate into the ground, even if it isn't a particularly good soil for infiltration, but it will hold it back because it will be held within the foliage and between the, the leaves of plants and in, through grasses. So that slows down the, the speed at which it transmits through and holds it back. So it delays how the water actually discharges from a site and particularly with some of the features where it specifically is aimed to do that. So we're slowing that down. 
amenity well if you're going to do suds then you know we're landscape architects we are the people well placed to understand the sorts of plants we need to plant there and to make it an attractive feature and it can be any shape size you like it's just down to your own imagination as to how you deal with that and biodiversity you know just by its very nature the fact that we're going to have different sorts of planted systems, then we've got that opportunity to also contribute these days to biodiversity net gain. So it ticks all the boxes for me, really. And, you know, how we do it is really just, as I say, down to our own imaginations. Of course. And w- would you say that all SUD schemes are equally effective? But it depends what you mean. I mean, no. I mean, the problem that we've had is the classic pipe-to-pond solution, which is the thing that's been endemic for so many years because, you know, anything to do with drainage is seen as an engineering operation, whereas with SUDS it is this cooperation between engineering and landscape architecture. And therefore, yes, a huge number of systems were just piped upon and, and really didn't offer the four pillars of suds. All they dealt with was quantity. Whereas when we've got more holistic approach to it by using the four pillars, then that's where we get all of the benefits that we want to see coming from our environment. And it's really interesting. I'm just looking at the magazine. Um, what readers will see when they get their copy is a particularly um, graphic example of a scheme in Rains Park, part of the uh, All England tennis courts. Um, Do you want to just describe what's going on there? Because as an example of having a huge impact, a visual impact on the landscape, something quite extraordinary and very beautiful has happened. But do you want to just put that into words? The Rains Park site is the the All England Lawn Tennis Club ancillary site, and it's, it's what they call their practice ground. And um, they've been there for quite a long time. They had, um, I think, one indoor court, an outdoor and some other older courts there, but a, and a big green space, which was surrounded by housing. Uh, and that area of grassland really flooded regularly, um, but also that flooding could affect the, the neighbouring properties. But they wanted to expand the practice area there. And so the, we were engaged as a practice to take on the design of that. And it's, it's, it's been a long th- process through several stages, uh, which, which started with building all of the new tennis courts at a much higher level so that they wouldn't flood or be damaged in any way. And as part of that, to install um, a really quite significant uh, suds basin there. And um, so all of the water that comes off the new car parking and comes from the building and, and those courts drains into, essentially, it's, it's a retention basin, so a very large pond. And, you know, we dug that out so that it would have permanent water within it. But it also, because of the scale of it, had the capacity to actually deal with those um, more prolonged or extreme events and there has been no flooding of any of the local properties or indeed of the site since then. But what's come out of that, because we looked at um, in that water feature, because it's so large, lots of shelving at different levels. And that was also reflecting how the water would draw down to a, a specific level and be retained on that site. And um, yeah, so it was fully planted up, but it's also got some natural regeneration there. 
and it is a fantastic wildlife resource and a really att attractive feature, which, of course, those houses also can now look out upon. What's really interesting is to look at the range of uh, SUD schemes that are available, because in this edition of the magazine, we've devoted, I suppose, about uh, 30, 35% of the space to case studies. Um, there's one I think is really interesting, which is um, it's an Atkins scheme um, and an education scheme, SUD for schools. And what, what struck me as interesting about that is that not only is it obviously a scheme that prevents the school from being flooded, but there's an element of it being an opportunity to teach young people uh, about what's going on. What, what are your thoughts about using SUD schemes as, um, I suppose, as active educational activities as well as being purely functional? We've also been involved in a number of uh, SUDS for Schools projects, and uh, I think it's a really lovely way to do it. You know, how are we going to teach the people in the future? This is a great opportunity for them to see it and understand it, because the reason they're doing these SUDS for Schools is because those schools flooded, and some of them have flooded quite significantly. So the fact that they can see how that is being dealt with but I think in some of the nicer schemes where there's the opportunity to actually create those features as really positive parts of the playgrounds in particular. We're dealing with the, the quality, consumerity and biodiversity, but there we're also dealing with education of the population of the future and getting them to understand these issues as early on. And um, I know that uh, on one that we did... Uh, they actually took two classes and got them to have a go at designing their own suds. So they really did engage and understand. And I think that's, uh, no, it's, it's brilliant. And it's really nice to see that happening. What about, um, let's say a word on, on clients. And this is a very general question. But what are your observations on the general level of awareness of clients of, 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 of suds generally and water management? Mixed. Mixed, but, in, but massively improving because obviously legislation is changing. I think there's always been a bit of an education that's been necessary of clients, but I tend to be a bit more subversive about it. I just go go into these things on the basis that that is what we're going to do. And uh, sometimes that has to be a little bit moderated. But, you know, if there is then an opportunity to discuss it, and I think the legislation is clearly bringing changes too. So I think people do understand that they need to do it. But there is this lack of understanding that it doesn't have to take up lots more space. It doesn't have to be more expensive. And in fact, in the main, um, it's probably about the same as a conventional scheme site, and depending on the site, it can be cheaper. But so you have to sort of, you know, do some myth busting about another and people's perceptions. And I think there is a need to subtly train your clients really and sometimes the design team that you're working with but um, you know the knowledge has grown hugely so um, we're making this recording just towards the end of 2023 but 2024 um, is not only the 10th anniversary of, of making it to the front page of the the daily telegraph but also uh, more importantly uh, there's a lot of new legislation expected Do you want to say a bit about what you're hoping to see um in the new year? Yes, well, the Flood and Water Management Act, which was the one that was somewhat chopped at the knees previously, has come back in a new form. And I've been sitting on the DEFRA steering group, one of several other, many other people um, working towards that. And um, it's shaping up well. 
the only issue is it's it's now it should be just before Christmas, which is where we are now being published. It's all been written up, and now it, then it's got to do its tour through government, which means going through you know both houses initially being examined and then going back again. And I think the issue is you know what's going to happen to it as part of that process. Is it going to come through unscathed without any changes that fundamentally stop it from doing what it needs to do, which is obviously what happened last time. But it's it's coming in a different environment with a greater understanding of the need for it. There's much more will for it and people pushing for it and developers as well. They understand that uh, it is required in the main. The view, I think, from developers is, and certainly I've heard that in a couple of instances, get the legislation in place, then when we're bidding for land, everybody's on a level playing field, and that's fine. What they don't want is themselves to be bidding, thinking they need more space, which, as we know, is probably wrong, and therefore allowing more money on a bid and therefore not winning it. So in a way, some of the, some of the more knowledgeable developers perfectly content with the legislation and also because they understand it better now whereas in the past I think it was a fear factor of what was this novelty you know it's all going to be difficult complicated and expensive and I think that's pretty much been dissipated over the years. I think you've highlighted something interesting about the fear of too much space being allocated so presumably space that could be used specifically for a part of the development the worry is that too much of that will be allocated to a sub scheme so your feeling is this isn't the case as long as people properly understand how both the landscape and the engineering work i think it it is just one of those myths that that has arisen clearly it, it could be it could be, but most of if you're going to spread your suds around the site, then actually you're going to use some of those pieces of land, which are sort of slightly meaningless bits of green spaces around the edges. Well, actually, those can all contribute towards the suds. Abroad, they tend to do that, um, putting suds in front, front gardens and permeable paving on drives, and then actually you can... You know, the odd water butt in the back garden, especially one that will drain down. Smart water butt you can get these days. It's just about the fact that suds isn't all about, you know, pipes and grounds. You know, just it's just about thinking about the open space in a slightly different way. So it doesn't have to use up more land. It can do. But also where you've got open space, I think it's about combining what's there and creating features out of it but also thinking about biodiversity net gain because the two do work very well together. And this may sound a slightly odd question, but do you think that looking back over this 10 years or maybe 15 year period, in terms of some of the areas where landscape architects have advocated for greener solutions, for moving from grey to green, for looking at the landscape aspects of public health for looking at uh, the the issues of sustainable drainage that we've touched on would you say that over this period um, rather more has been achieved than perhaps we properly acknowledge I think it's escalated so there's lots of landscape practices and other practices out there who do understand this and are engaged with it in a way that they didn't I think we still do have a little bit of a battle with engineering in some areas But, you know, we'll get through that. And we also need planning to really understand it properly. But, you know, all that knowledge and understanding is growing. And, um, and, you know, 
this is the odd time when we can go and talk to a scheme with the funding authority and they're right on it, you know, and, and wanting things very positively and understanding what to ask for. And that's great. That's exactly what we want. Okay, we've reflected quite a lot on the past 10 years. So my, my last question inevitably is to say to you, where do you think we will be 10 years from now? Oh, I think we will see. There is no reason why we can't get that into new development. And I think we need to definitely work with our housing developers and urban planners to make sure that they fully understand it and that the legislation supports it. And therefore, we have really integrated and proper design. We're going to have an ongoing problem with the and retrofitting just because there are so many areas around the country, big and small, that need to be retrofitted. That is a long-term challenge. And we need to gather money from every source to try to do that because you know the amount of money required to deal with it properly is significant. It really is because if you look at the number of houses affected by flooding when I started this 12 years ago, despite all the work we've done, that number hasn't changed because more places are now flooding. So we do have a big you know, we do have a big battle on our hands. Sue, although that's a very uh, sober point at which to complete our conversation, thank you very much for your time this morning. The new edition of Landscape is focused on the landscape of water from Basiljet to Suds in the city. Uh, You can get a copy free of charge by downloading it from the Landscape Institute website. Thank you very much indeed and see you next time.